Today on the podcast, Jason and I continue our discussion on the remaining two qualities that a connection economy entrepreneur should possess, as well as go through the methods used to start, build and sustain meaningful and valuable relationships with your customers. This involves the techniques used at different points in the customer journey to differentiate your model and how to choose a business partner wisely. This is Digital Bacon FM. Joined on the line, of course, 10 o'clock on the dot, Mr. Stephen Barnes, marketing guru extraordinaire. C'est moi, monsieur, c'est moi. That's apparently, anyway. What's happening? Um, right, so uh, I guess we'll pick up where we left off, right? Yes. Um, we're talking about how to build a monopoly from nothing with no money invested, um, driven ultimately by um, the movie called uh, How to Build a Monopoly from Nothing with No Money Invested on the website intelligentcontent.marketing and mm. then all the other information that's contained in the um, Encyclopedia of Intelligent Content Marketing, which you can access through the intelligentcontent.marketing website. Um, and uh, part of that sort of process is uh, analyzing the marketplace. And last week, we talked about the competitive landscape. Uh, and we talked about, in broad terms, um, given that you're a connection economy entrepreneur, you're going to be doing things differently from your industrial economy competitors. And so we were kind of like two thirds of the way through a discussion about um, what, what are the qualities to be found in a typical connection economy entrepreneur. Mm. And I, um, over, the, um, over the last six or seven years, I kind of identified sort of seven, if you will. Um, and we, we covered the first five last week, uh, and I guess we pick up today from uh, the sixth one and mm. indeed the seventh one, and then um, sort of talk about talk about how you can tangibly then take your disposition as a connection economy entrepreneur and then turn it into you know um, a competitive strategy against your uh, well against the incumbent incumbent competitors. It'll be uh, yeah incumbent players that be competing against. Just, just for a, a quick recap, uh, I'll go through the first five. You need to do three times your bottom line: profit, people, and planet. Number two is value ourselves in the work we do. Seek purpose and meaning in all we do, and ask why, and seek to create experience, not just to fill needs. Uh, we actively pursue mistakes. The status quo is dangerous. It's better to invent new standards. And the fifth one, more interested in what we don't know. Business is a learning opportunity. Customer service is an education, and sales is a scholarship. And we pick up from there. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, nicely summarized. Uh, sort of uh, element number six is. Um, we, we embrace the quirks of our niche and we look for ways to crack the right eggs. Now, that's a pretty bold sort of, you know, general statement. What does mm. it what does it really mean? Well, you know, when you are an expert in what you do or you know what you do better than most other people that uh, are around you or you could expect to compete against you, uh, it means that you have an opportunity to really, you know, consider what your uh, niche is all about um, and then anticipate the kind of things that um, uh could possibly uh, represent new value opportunities in your niche because they are um, quirks, the things that have been by definition sort of, you know, overlooked because they're not usual, they're not normal. Mm. Uh, and that then gives you, you know, opportunities to think sort of down paths that might you might otherwise not have, uh, have, have, have trodden. So it, to give you an example of this is that uh, looking for quirks in our niche, well, you know, the ultimate quirk in our niche was the fact that uh, uh, 
ultimately an immigration service provider were was selling their um, uh, their knowledge and their experience and their expertise and they closely guarded that knowledge and experience and expertise and and felt that you know if they were to let uh, that knowledge expertise uh, sort of go out into uh, the marketplace, then their potential customers would no longer find that there would be any need to contract with, you know, us as a provider, say, or an immigration provider, because um, if uh, if you know what this stuff's all about and it's been sort of democratized, democratized, then you know where, where do you sit in the uh, in the uh, in the equation as a, an expert in that niche? Well, sort of, you know, a folly that underlies that is this idea that, you know, human beings are very, very, very busy people, right? And they themselves are all kind of, you know, typically good at one thing even if it's just a small thing that, that represents what they are all about. Um, and they live, the, most people live their lives just having a general understanding of you know, how the world works. Uh, and when you need to sort of delve into you know, something like a particular niche, um, yes, certain people are wired to become experts and you know, do all the research and, 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 and can equip themselves with what they need to be able to solve the problems that uh, are outside of their typical uh, domain because you know, they're able to do the research and fathom, fathom it all out for themselves. Mm. But the vast majority of people find you know, life too complex to become experts at, uh, at every sort of challenge that comes their way. Um, if, they, if you had to become an expert at absolutely every process and everything that affected your life so that, in a sense, you didn't have to pay anybody else to help you solve it, you'd spend your entire life just, you know, learning how to fix mundane, day-to-day, simple problems that you're better off just, you know, recognizing mm. that there are other people that you could pay money to to solve that problem. Sure. So so that, that that's the kind of reality. And in the immigration niche, as I mentioned, it was really all about access to information. So by turning the sort of, you know, the, 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 the profession on its head by um, not uh, hoarding our expertise, but by sharing it and giving it, you know, widely out to everybody, um, what we were able to do was to sort of recognize that by providing the information to the marketplace that they needed to make informed decisions about the challenges that were ahead of them, we were not shooting ourselves in the foot by disabusing ourselves of the ability to make revenues out of, you know, that expertise. What we were doing was we were educating our marketplace as to what it's really all about so they could make some informed decisions about whether or not it was something that they wanted to do themselves um, or whether it was something that they were better off asking a professional like us to take care of it for them. And an analogy here is, you know, um, fixing your car. You know, you might uh, have access to uh, the tools to fix your car. You might have access to all the information on the web to know how to fix it. Um, You might have, you know, essentially everything that you need to do the task of servicing your car yourself. But unless you are wired to go out and sort of take on the risk of servicing it yourself as a novice and investing all the time, effort and energy and getting to grips with, you know, what it takes to service your car yourself, you know, you could spend several weekends sort of getting it wrong right mm. um why bother why bother doing that when you know that you can take it down the road and get it serviced for 250 dollars and uh, your weekends are your own again 
So, you know, when I talk about um, embracing the quirks of your niche, when we looked at our niche, the quirk of our niche was the fact that the vast majority of our competitors were selling fear and the hoarding their expertise. Uh, and we understood the niche much better than to, uh, much, to be much broader than that. And we understood the sort of people who operate in that niche to, to such a, uh, an extent that we realized that really what we should be doing is giving all our expertise away and for free, empowering people to do it themselves for free so that you can then readily conclude that this is not something that they do want to do for themselves, they'd rather pay somebody else to do it for them. Mm. Um, and uh, and in that process, we've established our credentials and creditability with the, with the people that we want to have relationships with. So bingo, uh, you can't compete against free, right? And no. uh, that was how we were able to embrace, you know, the, the quirk of our niche. Mm. So that's that's sort of one one way to um, you know consider how the connection economy entrepreneur is sort of oriented towards the world, uh, and then we also say that we look for ways to crack the right eggs, um, and uh, you know that's in, in a sense sort of recognizing what it is that you sell, mm. um, and because we don't sell fear, we sell peace of mind. Uh, the eggs that we're cracking is the the notion of what it is the customer is actually getting from an immigration service provider, which was um, uh, peace of mind. So because well, we understood peace of mind was what we sell, we established our proposition and our, well, our service proposition ultimately around being able to deliver that. Is is peace of mind not the result? Isn't fear something that's ingrained in somebody? If I don't do this right, I won't get my visa. They can do it right. Therefore, they give me peace of mind. But the fear is still there. Well, that's true completely. And the fear, fear is the motivation to yeah. Uh, to take action to solve the problem. Mm. So you now go out into the marketplace to look for a solution to the problem, uh, and you're scared, uh, and then you talk to a bunch of people who say they can help you solve that problem, but all they're doing is reinforcing your fear, right? Yep. Well, fear is a terrible basis for a relationship, so why not you know, crack the right eggs? Why mm. not realize that actually what they're looking for is peace of mind? They want that fear to go away. Mm. So if you come along and say, well, don't worry about it anymore. Um, you know, here's what I'm going to do for you. And by the mm. way, if we don't do it for you, then you know, we're, we're kind of reversing all the risk uh, for mm. you to sort of work with us in this respect. Um, so you know, there you go. You've got, uh, you've got peace of mind out of that because we know what kind of concerns uh, exist when we're talking to a customer. Mm. And so our proposition is, has been engineered to address every single one of those concerns so that they come away from the encounter with us, both educated in terms of how they can do it themselves. Um, secondly, in terms of you know the fact they've got um, all the information that they need to make informed decisions about whether they should do it themselves or whether they should hire somebody like us to do it. And then finally, they conclude for themselves, well, it's actually riskless for them to deal with us because we've identified uh, a proposition um, that will give them what they're really looking for which is mm. peace of mind to know this problem's going away well i think you know we chatted a little bit about my niche and the, that's the food and beverage industry and i think we spoke a little bit about it last week and a similar sort of thing would be a secretary making a booking at a restaurant uh, for her boss for lunch she wants a no hassle solution she doesn't want to be embarrassed she certainly doesn't want her boss to be embarrassed it's less about the food but more about the success of the event and that her boss yeah. Uh, can go there with confidence, knowing that whoever he's going to be with is going to be impressed, or uh, and and have a good experience, and then walk away. Um, yeah. And if if that is something that happens, they will happily repeat it because it takes all of the the risk out of that booking. It's a safe yeah. place to go. We know they're not going to let us down. Let's just go. 
Yeah. And as a, as, as a provider there, you know, what you do is, you know, you embrace the quirk of your niche and you look for ways to crack the right eggs. So you say, well, you know, you ask yourself as a, as a restaurateur, but why are people coming to my restaurant? Well, they're probably coming for all different reasons. Mm. OK, do we actually know why our customers come to our restaurants? Is it a general proposition that we try to find out? Uh, well, no, we don't. We just accept the bookings. They come in, they come in, we seat them, you know, we deliver a service in the meal and then off they go. Mm. Well, OK, there's a quirk of your niche, right? Well, have you ever thought about perhaps developing something in your system that uh, allows you to, as a provider, to understand why people are coming and making bookings and what it is they're hoping to achieve out of it? And then you might be able to um, devise a formula that says if, if, if the main reason for coming is for, you know, this guy to sort of impress the first date. Well, you know, we can deliver an experience that anticipates the fact that this guy needs to impress this first date. Or mm. if this guy's coming to have a business meeting with with this colleague uh, or, or with this uh, business partner, uh, and the objective is, for example, to uh, conclude a transaction of some kind, then you know if you're able, if you know that that's the reason why they're there, you can adjust your service experience to allow you know the best possible experience for the guy who's made the booking to achieve you know the objective he's looking for. So, mm. I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head sure. here about sort of how this notion might apply in your niche, um, but certainly if you do go through the process of um, embracing the quirks of your niche and then look for ways to crack the right eggs, you can come up with you know a, a very interesting proposition and you know reinforce your credentials as a connection economy well, entrepreneur. My, my, my mind went on from that and said, well, if you wanted to be a first date restaurant, would you tie up with Tinder? Excuse the expression tying up, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> what a I'm, great very, I'm, I'm very young and naive and I'm not quite <laughs> sure I can't follow that one. Would you, would you care to explain, sir? <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a photo. I'm not very bright, I've told you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I, I, I could have done what somebody did to me and said, well, I'll send you the Grinder app. It's a little bit different. <laughs> oh, wow. That's the gay one, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, anyway, moving moving back onto Monopoly. Actually, I saw, uh, talking about Tinder, not that I've ever been on it, um, they, you know, that, that's a technical. A technolog- You're a single guy. Hang on a minute. I thought single guys lived on Tinder, did they not? I, I'll tell you the issue with it is signing up, you need a Facebook account. And oh, I've, I've got a company Facebook account. I don't have a personal Facebook account. So there was always that. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, but I saw I saw something interesting. You know, okay. we, we've we've spoken about uh, disrupting markets and uh, monopolies. Now, you would say that Tinder came along just in the same way that other platforms have come along and disrupted the market, and they have a huge market share, and yet they still can't get the internal parts of how their businesses run properly. You know, they now have a lawsuit for $2 billion going on between the original founders and eight of the developers uh, because the people that they got into bed with, uh, again, excuse the expression, uh, were complete shysters. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, this is part and parcel of the human condition, right? Mm. Um, there, there are There are entrepreneurs and business founders that, go into you know their businesses for good reasons you know the right reasons mm. and there are uh, probably an equal number of fighters that go in for it purely for the money and purely for maximum advantage for themselves mm. such as you know human nature mm. uh, and one of the lessons that i learned down the years um having come uh, a very close call with bankruptcy myself seven or eight years ago is that um you know the secret of success is to deal with it with the right people mm. and uh, and that and getting that right is really what it's all about 
um, because, uh, you know, I, uh, I lost 10 years of my life through decisions that I made to deal with the wrong people. And it cost me essentially everything. Very, mm. very, well, it cost me everything. So it cost me even the family home. So, uh, yeah, I've learned those lessons. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a general phenomenon no. that uh, if you don't choose your partners carefully, you're going to uh, potentially end up in all kinds of grief. What, what were you looking for in partners before and how did you change how you look at partners after your revelations it's a good question right and i think that gets to the heart of this is some seth, seth golden says you know you should pick yourself mm. and it took me essentially 18 19 years to arrive at the conclusion that i needed to pick myself so what i was doing in the early days was i was kind of you know looking at people who had been successful or, or in, from my terms of reference i felt they'd been successful um, and figured that, you know, they were generally decent people and that I could work with them. And I was prepared to sort of get into bed with them. And I was prepared to align my interests with theirs. I was, in a sense, prepared to sort of do the collective bidding, but subsume, you know, my own personal interests to, you know, the, the, the collective whole, as it were. Well, you know, the moment that you do that, actually what you're doing is you're enabling others to control your destiny. And uh, through, you know, the, the bitter experience that I had with at least two of those those projects uh, in that decade, um, I, uh, I, uh, I ended up suffering tremendously as a result of having made the wrong decision who I dealt with. Mm. So uh, that was uh, a, 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 way, a clarion call because I knew that uh, after those two debacles and I was trying to sort of find a new way out of my, uh, my dilemma, I'd, started to work with another guy at this time in Australia who I had a lot of time for and a lot of respect for and we did revenues together and whatever but he had foibles and I came to understand that the foibles that he had was this uh, this innate desire to control all the information and it would only ever drip feed me little bits and pieces of what was going on um, and that left me completely floundering because I had no opportunity to, you know, understand uh, kind of what was happening. I was sort of, we were supposedly equal partners, but he took it on himself never to disclose to me what was really happening and just drip feed me information that he felt that I needed to hear. Uh, and I could see myself, you know, wasting another uh, another five or six years of my life on a, on a ridiculous mission with this particular gentleman who who I like a lot. And he did some good positive things for him before. But uh, I knew that, uh, you know, 48, 49 years of age, if I carried on dealing with someone like that, I was going to end up, you know, uh, 55 years of age and have nothing. And then, you know, I would be in really deep doo doo. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I made uh, the bold, so to speak. It wasn't a bold decision, but I made the decision that uh, I needed to, as Seth says, pick myself. Uh, and then I decided that whatever was going to come next, I was going to drive and control the buzz myself completely. And people were going to get on board with me rather than me getting on board with people. Uh, and that was the single most important decision that I did to change my fortunes, really, um, was to take responsibility for my own my own future. Because no one's got any um, any interest in my future. We're all selfish. We've only got self-interest. That's the, the way of the world. No problem. Them, uh, but you have to pick yourself. So what I've done is I've picked myself uh, and I've now built up uh, a leadership position with a team of 25 that are all out there, motivated, doing what they're doing, all treated with respect, all benefit from, you know, the 10 years of experience that I had losing my uh, losing my shirt because I made the wrong decision to deal with people. Um, I made the decision wrong. Yeah. I made the decision to deal with the wrong people. Um, that's all factored in how the relationships that I create with my uh, with, with my team that's that's con continuously growing. 
Um, and uh, it's created a, a network of, of earned and deserved trust based on respect, uh, kind of all the, the, well, really the antithesis of the kind of experience that I was having previously. And knowing the kind of disputes that go on in business around me when I look at other people and kind of problems that they're having, they, they, they've created those problems themselves because they, they, they don't choose what they're doing uh, carefully. They don't choose how they behave carefully. Uh, they don't choose who they deal with carefully. They all adopt, uh, you know, some sort of uh, hierarchy that, uh, that, that 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 doesn't promote uh, the, the sort of the, the the group the group interest rather than the individual interest. Mm. And um, uh, uh, yeah, I see I see people making mistakes in business all the time, really reflecting the mistakes that I made. But thankfully, until until till this day anyway uh, I'm, I'm through the woods and that's not a problem for me anymore so then how how i mean everybody has a limit of their of their knowledge and their experience and if you get to the the maximum limit of where your business is and you don't have the ability to be able to take it uh national or global how then do you if, if you look at your business for example and you wanted to roll yours out globally you would have to then take on the experience of somebody who has more experience than you. How do you then, how do you then balance that out? Well, okay. So um, firstly, in order for me to take my business global, the only thing I need is capital. So uh, I would then choose a capital path that meant that I had access to capital where apart from reflecting the interests of my shareholders, uh, the financial interests of my shareholders, they had no operational say in what I was doing whatsoever. Mm. So that's the only way that I would be able to do that. That, that begs the question, well, do you, how do you get access to mm. capital like that? Which is a good question. Well, I may or may not be able to have access to capital like that, but I'm 55 years of age now, so that doesn't worry me. You know, what, What's the point in, in, in raising a huge, huge sum of money to take a, a little Hong Kong immigration business to then put it on the global scale and then spend the next 10 to 15 years of my life kind of, you know, proving the point that this business model is applicable to any immigration jurisdiction around the world. Mm. Uh, well, 20 years ago, I might have, um, you know, I might have thought, of, thought that was a worth, worthwhile endeavor. These days, I don't think that's such a worthwhile endeavor until unless somebody came along with a large check and said, you know what, Stephen, what you're doing is, is so clearly, you know, the future of immigration uh, and you've proven yourself from you know what we can see via the you know your public presence that you're clearly capable of, um, of of replicating this on a global scale. So you know here's a check for 10 million US dollars. Off you go and do it. Um, you know please just send us a report once a year along with a check for our dividends. Sure, you know I could I could live with that. That would be relatively straightforward. But that doesn't happen. That's cloud cuckoo land. Mm. So alternatively, what you do is you look for ways to have your existing business run without you. Uh, and therefore generate uh, a continuous stream of income while building uh, equity in the business so that at some stage in the future when you no longer you know um, want to think about the getting income from it you just want to divorce yourself from completely completely then you sell it so you know part of our uh, uh, the exit strategy that, that, that's on our cards um, from an operational perspective is just a, a service line that we've developed we've um, developed a new service line called Hong Kong Visa Sherpa uh, you may recall that the immigration services market in Hong Kong is split into two types, individual and corporate, mm -hmm. individual being represented by 15% of the market and 85% is corporate. 
Now, the proposition for immigration, uh, individual immigration services clients is, is somewhat different from the proposition for corporate immigration services clients because you're selling different things, believe it or not. For the individual immigration services client, you're selling peace of mind. Mm -hmm. But for a corporate immigration client, you're ultimately selling the ability to blame us if something goes wrong. Mm. Two, two very different issues, two, two very different propositions. Sure. Moreover, in corporate in corporate immigration world, the work tends to be cookie cutter, straightforward. Um, very, uh, very little need to be creative um, in terms of how you position your argument. You don't have to worry too much about uh, nuances that uh, might lead to a refusal rather than an approval. In corporate land, it's it's, it's very, very straightforward in the main. So mm. that's the kind of work that you can do that you don't have to be Hong Kong's immigration expert to do a case for corporate immigration. You can train university graduates to do that work and uh, and then you can give them a management hierarchy just above them who have you know perhaps half of my expertise and still be able to pro pro properly service that marketplace without you know the need for me to be involved in any of that. Hmm. So our, uh, our sort of you know challenge to um, making the thing scale from a revenue perspective to make it a really interesting business is to understand that you know the future is corporate immigration to develop a proposition that uh, is going to be attractive in corporate immigration land that's going to disrupt uh, the way that corporate immigration services are pre presently sold and experienced uh, and at the same time shift the balance of the revenue mix from our immigration practice from from individual over to corporate so that means the individual market while still important to us in terms of overall numbers and you know my uh, need to be involved in it because of the need from you know my continuing expertise and input, uh, we can separate the two, and I can uh, I can sw switch the revenue mix so that the corporate uh, will deliver much more uh, revenue from individual, and uh, an individual can be a, a secondary secondary part of it. And then I'm still making money out of immigration. It's just being mostly coming from corporate immigration, uh, and I can you know go to South Africa and spend some time in um, in your lovely part of the world, and uh, you know watch the watch the the wildebeest uh, roam across <laughs> the savannah. As the sun sets, that's what you. That's what you do, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just put on my loincloth and I go out and hunt for dinner. Tyson. <laughs> well, the Tyson experience. But, but, hey, we're yes. talking about competitive landscapes. There's something, right? <laughs> the Tyson experience. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right six pack man we'll catch up again next week you have an absolutely awesome uh afternoon uh, do, do you yeah. know we only covered one one point today <laughs> we've still got one more to cover to cover yeah when you, you get when, when you get an eight pack we'll talk about it then you have a great day cheers digital bacon fm join us in the next episode which is all about the abundance of choices they're out there for a connection economy entrepreneur the world truly is your oyster.